0: Hello and welcome to the Baby Woman Indie Insider Podcast. My name is Charlotte Carpenter and in these podcasts I'm interviewing artists, decision makers, industry pros, generally sharing my own experiences and stories, my tips or any insider scoop on what it takes to be an independent musician. And you know I'm not a pro, I'm not an expert, I'm also working a day job thinking that the petrol prices are too much money and should the water bill really be that much but you know we're all in this together and hopefully throughout these podcasts we are going to be able to make this a full-time thing someday because we all deserve it and in today's episode I'm speaking with Phil from AWOL that's A-W-A-L and for those of you that don't know AWOL is a distributor so they put your music onto Spotify and Apple etc but they're a little bit different because you have to be accepted to be able to use them. So there is that certain element of quality control. They have a brilliant app so you can kind of follow your data and see where your streams and your money are coming from. Which is great because independent artists should love data because you can kind of you know go on to do brilliant things with it. But AWOL are the kind of company that you are not just distributing with, there actually might be some sort of trajectory in there for you. And one of the things I learned from doing this recording was that it might not be for everyone. They might be able to really help you, or you know, you might just kind of never be on their radar. And I think the question is when is the right time to use a company like AWOL? Able to me seem like a company that will really really help you if you've got a little bit more going on for yourself. If your story is really interesting, maybe you've got a manager who's you're working some magic or a radio plugger that's got you some really good stuff, maybe you've got an agent who's booked you a sick headline tour, you know you kind of have to have all of these massive assets a little bit more in place to be able to benefit from a company like AWOL so you have to really really ask yourself even though it seems good to be there is it right for you right now and that's a question that we should not be afraid to ask ourselves ever but before we dive into this very meaty episode today please subscribe let me know if you're enjoying it let me know if there's anything else you want me to talk about for future episodes And you can do that by hitting subscribe and following me everywhere on social media. Follow me on Baby Woman Records on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Keep up to date, see what else we're up to. So here we go. Today's episode with Phil from AWOL. Enjoy.
1: Yeah, so I've been working with AWOL for a long time now. I mean, as far as music goes, I started... Um, as a musician, I was living in Sheffield for a good few years, playing in a band. Um, and so that was great. And when I finished doing that and I looked to get into the industry, I started working at AWOL. Um, and that was, um, yeah, that's changed a lot since I've been there. You know, so I, I sort of cut my teeth um, working as a label manager and setting up the label management team uh, for the company. Um, And in the last few years, I've been focused on the community side of AWOL. And what we do is we, you know, AWOL works um, at lots of different tiers of of the the music industry. So we're sort of, we've recently put out records by Lauve and Girl in Red. Um, So they're sort of big, very international projects. Um, But at the same time, we work with a, a large roster of developing artists and labels um and that's the area that i tend to focus my energy so i've been looking at that for the last few years um and we've got a team in the uk and a team in in the us who look after that roster
0: cuz you used to be based in sheffield right that's where AWOL kind of started
1: yeah yeah it was it was started there even at that point there was um there was a team in london as well and fairly early on we started growing the team in in the us um, but that's where I started. And it was a slightly more of a sort of an operational focus then. So that was kind of the heart of the company's um, processing of getting releases out to all of the stores globally and, and, and managing that part of the process.
0: And who came up with the idea of creating? Is it, I mean, is it AWOL or AWOL? Because people say different things and I get really confused. It's AWOL. AWOL, okay. So yeah. AWOL. Who came up with the idea?
1: Um, so it's quite a long time ago now. It was um Jonathan Cornby and Kevin Bacon came up with the idea and worked with um Denzel Fiegelson and my first boss at AWOL, Paul Bauer, um, who was really the sort of um the operational heart of it and he he ran ran the company from Sheffield.
0: Okay, cool. And I mean I remember when, I think the first time I logged on to AWOL was quite a long time ago. It might be going back um, seven or eight years, maybe. Um, and from the perspective of someone who has been using it for that length of time, it's really interesting just to see how much you've grown. Like Even just looking at the portal now compared to what the portal looked back back then, it's incredible that... The artist has that much power when they go to upload you know their new tracks or all their new albums. And I mean, do you recognize how much growth you've had as a company, or is it because you're inside it and you're there every day, you don't quite realize the
1: jump? That's a really interesting one. I would like I, the loads and loads has changed and, and I think it's important uh, at a company like Able that we stay pretty humble. I think loads of stuff for us has um, improved. The quality of service we're able to give people is really, really different. Um, And I think at the heart of it was always there's that sort of slightly startup mentality that is very much at the heart of of how Cobalt works. You know, it's still very quick um, when it comes to development. Um, And so we've worked really hard to try and stay up to speed on things as they change, which is really difficult in music, especially because they change so much globally. So when I first started, you know, we really were focused on a few a few platforms. Um, the sort of opportunities that were available to artists were very different and the tools that were available to them were very different. And yeah, now yeah, it's a sort of, it's a much more global project. You know, I, I have to speak to people all over the world um, on a regular basis so that we stay up to speed with things. When it comes to sort of flagging up priority projects, You know, we have to speak to the team in the US and the team in Australia and the teams across Europe. Um, And that was definitely less of a thing when we started. Um, As far as the tools that are available from the platform, they've improved lots. Um, But that's been true. You know, it's kind of true across the industry. Um, I think our platform is fantastic. I think the app is really, really useful. Yeah, the app's
0: savvy. I love that. I was really excited about that.
1: That's great. Yeah. I I mean, I find it super useful. (laughs) The the sort of the benefits of being told when you've got playlist additions as a manager, bread and butter stuff like that is super important. And now you're running yeah. a label, you need that. You can't check every Friday, can you? No, but, um, no. <laughs> but yeah, and at the same time, as that's happening, all the other platforms are getting loads better too. I mean, I think the Spotify for Artists tool, I think that's fantastic. The work Spotify've done, I think, has genuinely helped democratize things a bit. I see people mm-hmm. get. Playlist editions using the Spotify submission tool. I think tools like Chartmetric—they're incredibly powerful. Um, so I think, sort of all round, there's just a lot, a lot available to artists now um, than there was certainly when I started at AWOL.
0: And Are you constantly having to chase that, like you said, because you know the rate that the music industry and technologies de- like is developing is, you know, is crazy. Like how, how do you project where? you have to be and where you have to go and you know like what's next what's the next best feature we need to be giving our artists like how how do you make them decisions
1: that's that's a really interesting process that um yeah i mean it's 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 one way you have to be very very deliberate about what you do and don't prioritize for sure Um so we've had to you know we've made decisions in the past and then had to pivot um depending on on what's happening and where we want to focus our energies. Um, And I think, you know, like the reason we decided to prioritise looking at the app um, and then, for example, you know, the decision to add in YouTube numbers, I wasn't privy to all of those conversations. I don't want to pretend that I was, but the, you know, there's clearly, if you have live analytics for Spotify, Apple and YouTube, territorially, that covers you for nearly the world. You know, you miss out a couple of um, important areas like, you know, Japan, which is served by line or, you know, whether you're in Korea and trying to cover netties and things like that could be a little bit tricky. But you've essentially covered most of the world with those three platforms. So you quite specifically choose choose what you're doing for territorial global reasons in that situation. And so that's always the same. You know, so there's a big project underway at the moment to make changes to certain areas of of the platform um, and they'll be prioritised just because we think it's the most important thing for moving the needle for the, the projects we work with.
0: And what I mean I guess in in some ways we might have uh, kind of skipped a couple of questions actually I'm, I'm looking at my notes now thinking I haven't actually asked you to describe what distribution is but I do feel like most people that will listen will realise that they need distribution but you know what do you guys at AWOL say when someone is looking for a suitable distributor? Like what's your advice to new artists?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I definitely think it's something um, you need to be quite open-minded about. And, and so if you know that you need distribution in that you just know you've got some recorded music that you want to share with the world, um, then most distributors are going to do, you know, broadly speaking, similar things. So you'll be looking at payment model, you'll be looking at the kind of platform they can provide um, and what kind of additional support they can give. Um, and actually it does vary what you might might be needing. Um, AWOL is a very curated service. So, you know, people apply to work with us and sort of share some music and share a bit of the backstory. Um, other platforms, you know, you might be paying an upfront fee to work with them. So it's straightforward. They're happy to work with anybody who's looking for distribution. Um, other people take, you know, a, a small amount of commission or, or no commission. Um, so, yeah, it does depend a little bit about what you're looking for. Um, one of the things that ABLE is good for is, you know, we've worked very hard to make sure we've got um, support at all the different tiers. And we're always actively looking for projects that we can work more and more closely with and help develop. Um, so that's one of the things that we focus a lot of our time and energy on. Um, Do you other have pl-
0: like a... Sorry, you carry
1: on. Well, I was going to say, I mean, I don't, it's probably not right for me to go into too much detail about other platforms, but I know that there are others that have focused a lot more of energy on just getting releases live as quickly as possible, um, Mm -hmm. recognising that that was a concern for their clients. And, you know, and that might be a paid for service. So yeah, different distributors are focused on different areas.
0: So would you say that every artist has to kind of look at, each release and see what it is that they want out of that maybe
1: i think that's probably the right place to start um you know i think i think we're the best solution for lots of people because you know we're that's that's what i'm trying to do every day but you know the the reality is if you've got um if you've got a catalog that you just wanted up really quickly and you weren't necessarily concerned about the ongoing support then you know you could use you could use all sorts of other platforms
0: Mm -hmm. So you'd say AWOL is kind of a place for musicians to go to, to really kind of grow and and nurture their career in some ways.
1: I definitely think that's true. One of the things that I've noticed, you know, we like to try and work with the clients quite closely. Um, And what I mean by that is as things are developing, we get more and more involved in a project. Um, But equally, you know, I do think we expect quite a high level of energy from artists and labels that we're working with. They bring a lot to the table too. You know, we don't try and do everything for our clients. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a mix there, you know, where we bring a huge amount of value is, you know, when it comes to, we deliver very high quality metadata, you know, we've got very good support tools. And when it comes to the editorial side, when we're working that little bit more closely with projects, Um, we've got a really good sort of global network for trying to support in that sense.
0: And you must get... I mean, you must... In every podcast that I've had, there always comes to the point where I talk about artists and playlisting on Spotify. And that must be something that you have to answer or talk about on a daily basis.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we talk about the playlisting side all the time. I mean, it's it's a really... It's quite an interesting area. It's one of those where it's super easy to feel a little bit, um, I don't know, a bit disempowered by it. You know, you feel a bit like you're in the lap of the gods. You put a release out, you try and do what you can to get, get some some support. And if it doesn't happen, you know, you just feel like the project's a bit fucked. And mm-hmm. the, the reality is um, there's loads that you can do with, with projects um, before and after and during um, to try and help things, you can build on previous um, support. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, normally, if somebody starts asking the question about playlisting, I do want to drive down a bit more and find out specifically what their concerns or challenges are because there's so many different nuanced parts to it. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're working, say it's a really early project and there's very little going on at the moment. Um, it's going to be difficult for you to sort of secure things like New Music Friday support. That, that might not be the best place for it. Um, but that said, you know, if you say you go to Spotify and you fill in the playlist submission form, or you might use Submit Hub to try and flag up the release to various different people, um, you might also want to reach out to user-generated playlists. It might be a little bit smaller, but they feel like they're just the right vibe for what you're doing. You know, you've got all these different angles where you start trying to get a bit of support. And you might get nearly nothing from that. You might get loads, but you might get nearly nothing. But even if that happens, you've got a bit more to build on for the next the next release. Um, and you've got a bit of a relationship there to try and sort of double down on when the next projects are coming out. So I think it could be a bit more of an incremental and developmental thing. But
0: I th- I think you're completely be- right. Um, yeah, I, I think you're completely right about all of that. I mean, Spotify playlisting from an artist's point of view is a mystery and but at the end of the day I think well if I don't get something I'm not going to let it hold me back so it was really good to hear from you that you don't think that should happen either and you should be maybe more creative and you know like find those smaller playlists and just from touring alone you meet because kind of everyone really is building playlists these days even though there might not be a tutorial there still are playlists that have a number of followers that could be 10 people or you know like thousand people and i remember going um i got invited to play a show in barcelona for the first time about two years ago and i'm quite lucky i've been back a few times and there was a guy in the audience that has his own playlist and every single release that i've done now every single release i do on baby woman gets added and he's only growing because he's he's going more and more into it and i think people really forget the power of just talk to people that listen to Spotify because I bet they have their own playlist and you could just talk to them, get to know them, ask them to you know, put your song on there and, and how much that will help you. I don't think it is necessarily all about the editorial stuff.
1: No, it's, that's really solid advice. I read, um, I read a book a while ago by Mike Warner called um, Work Hard, Playlist Hard. I really recommend <laughs> it. It's, it's nice and short, which I like in a book. I got bad attention. Um, but it's, it's it's really full of good nuggets um, and I think you know in there there's lots of lots of the tips I really liked but there was an area that was very practical about building relationships with people who have playlists and they might not have been the bigger playlists which maybe you consider sort of you know if they work at Spotify it's very much an editorial playlist but the more user generated playlists you know developing a community in music is really important and I know that's something that you know you know a lot about, but like if you start to develop relationships with people that are genuine and there's some back and forth there and you're maybe sharing their music or you're sharing their playlist, I think that bit's really important and shouldn't be overlooked. I definitely it's hugely attractive to rock up to you know with great music to your distributor, and obviously this will happen lots where you know you hear music that's fantastic and you'll flag it up to some store editors who get it immediately. And playlist it and you'll have really big numbers um and that can be exactly the right sort of springboard to, to move things forward really quickly but but sometimes it's not that you just get some really good support for a couple of tracks it's a fairly fragile business potentially and, and that's not quite enough the slowly developing slightly more organic engagement that can come building up with smaller playlists looks fantastic still you know when when you look at the data for um of releases and you see a slow and steady build that's a really reassuring thing that's that's not bad um, and equally you know the platforms themselves when they're looking at the um, history for artists if they see a slowly developing organic fan base that's really reassuring and it means that if they're thinking about whether or not they might playlist something that's only going to look good
0: and what do you in terms of um, the release radar now for me the release radar is the complete jewel of my my release campaign because I know that as soon as I submit it with obviously enough time that track is going to go to a lot of people and I think people really undermine just how important it is to try and grow your followers on Spotify now I'm not saying it's easy because it's definitely not easy to grow followers It is quite hard to continually drive traffic there. But I love the release radar. It gives me such peace and and kind of joy and hope in the industry when I look up and think, that's like 300 people listening to that track that Spotify put there for me. And, you know, sometimes you'll hear from fans who see then that your name is at the top of their release radar. And I just find that an incredible personalised tool that doesn't get talked about enough.
1: That's true. Yeah. Hooray for the release radar. I think it rocks.
0: Um,
1: Yeah. I like, I mean, I use it all the time. as a punter. I go in there and, and, you know, whack it on to check what's going on. Um, Yeah. It's absolutely brilliant. And I completely get it. I totally get why a lot of people rag on Spotify. Um, And there's lots of, you know, really smart people with some really sophisticated issues with it. But, Personally, I kind of feel like it does a huge amount for artists and for fans that is really useful, and Release Radar is definitely one of them. The fact that, you know, week one, you're going to have a whole bunch of super engaged fans being reminded that you've dropped a release because it's hard for them to keep up because there's just so much noise and there's so many releases being dropped on a weekly basis, it's incredibly powerful. Um, You know, data wise, if you look at the amount of um, streams coming in for 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 lots of different artists a huge proportion come from those sorts of playlists and yeah it's it's obviously it's fairly easy to see why but like (laughs) that's that's hugely important
0: and then how do you from your point of view say like i don't know if you do music management as well or not i'm not i don't know are you just working in AWOL or do you manage people too
1: I don't I don't manage anybody and I do think um that's should be one of the most respected gigs in music that's a really tough profession I've worked with a lot of really impressive artist managers over the years and um yeah what they do is phenomenal um huge respect for artist managers
0: because how do you so an artist is like looking at their Spotify for artist page or their AWOL app and they're seeing all the data come through they can see you know which cities and towns are most popular what demographics are listening to them Which I think is super cool to know anyway because you can target so much stuff based on that. Like that kind of stuff helps me decide how many t-shirts to buy in certain sizes, if you get me. like, I'm like, okay, so mostly men listen to me in this age bracket. Okay, so maybe I need slightly bigger t-shirts. Like That's like a really basic level kind of what I get from that data and how that helps me as a touring musician. But how can an artist look at that data and make it change their career or make it help them project their career from your point of view
1: i think the example you've given is a pretty solid sort of mentality to start from it's like you know what what kind of what kind of guesses can i make to help optimize things so it doesn't really matter whether you're like a super developing artist or really well established. You've got an amount of resource that you want to invest in in getting the most out of your campaign. Um, and so the more you know about the demographic that it, it's really working for, the better. Not literally. There are definitely limits. But having a, a, an idea of what's going on is really useful. We've seen people. Actually, you might have some experience of this directly. But we've definitely seen people use it to help decide where live is going to be best So, you know, trying to move tickets in certain different places, if you know where the people are, they're listening to the music, that can be really helpful. Um, More often than not, you'll have a fairly good idea what's likely to work. But I think it becomes a bit less obvious when it comes to other countries, for example, across Europe. Um, I know that we've worked with artists where, you know, the pickup in various territories of Latin America was quite piecemeal. Um, and so they were able to be fairly specific about which territories to focus on. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably the best best way to go. I'm not an expert when it comes to um, sort of very focused social media marketing. And, and even then, because retargeting is so important, you, you might approach things like that anyway. Um, but certainly I know that... People who are, 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 you know, focusing their energy on the marketing side will use the demographics for that.
0: I think, I, I think the whole, you know, artists being able to be that in control of all of that data is one of the most powerful tools that we have. You know, and I think it's really important that we don't shy away from that either, and we don't think, oh, it's another app I have to download. And like, you download all <laughs> of the apps and find out all the information that you can.
1: Yeah, I'm drowning in apps. I've got too many apps. Um, I do. I I'll downloaded what...
0: a new app today for a camera. And I thought, I didn't really need that, did I? But, uh,
1: what know. does it do? Is it just more um, cool filters?
0: Yeah, it's called... Well, it was a sponsored post, which says it all, really. But it was a filter. <laughs> and it and it does loads of different... Um, like, loads of different film, basically. So I've been playing yeah. around with that today. But in my part, I well was like, you don't, you don't need another one. I was like, I do. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't know. Something it's really easy important. to go down the rabbit hole. I seem to need a new app every day. Um, yeah, it's 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 tricky to avoid. Um, I forgot on the yeah. train of where we were. What were we talking about?
0: I, can't, I think it was like the power of data, ha- like how powerful having all of that knowledge is for an independent artist.
1: Oh uh, Yeah, I mean, one thing that popped into my head as well, which it doesn't really get talked about very much because it's too slow in the modern age, but people don't look into their accounting... As much as they might do from a data analysis point of view, and a good example of that is we see some projects. We don't. Um, we're not providing live um, live data from NetEase at the moment, um, but it's a really important, very cool platform. I've not used it as a punter, um, but some what of my housemates NetEase? have NetEase. Yes, it's based in China. And the best way of describing it is kind of like a cross between, you know, like Instagram, Facebook and Spotify. So it's a very social media driven style of music consumption, but it's a streaming platform. Um, okay. But if you look into your, um, you know, deeply into your accounting statements from from your distributor, you might see that, that you're doing really well there and that wouldn't come up in the live data. Um yeah, so it definitely it's worth having a look into every now and then. I mean, it, it's, it's often not going to be that anything's going off there, but it's perfectly likely that there will, and you just wouldn't know about it. You'd just be getting a boost in your revenue.
0: And there's one thing as well I wanted to ask a question about. Um, I think a couple of years ago, I don't know if it was a couple of years ago, but you established something called AWOL Recordings. Is that yeah. a legitimate record label within the framework of AWOL?
1: Yeah, I think you could describe it like that. I mean, essentially, we work on different types of agreements within AWOL. Um, And I mean, people always keep hold of their rights, because that's kind of part of the DNA. But in order to sort of, you know, lean in with more support and bring in the global teams and the sort of international marketing teams and all of that, we have to have a slightly different agreement than the kind of 30 day rolling agreement, which is the Sort of standard able um core sort of service, and when we work with them you know it, it it's those sorts of projects are worked like a label services you know um setup would be, i guess in a lot of senses um, the various different specific differences on it i'm not I'm not really best placed to talk about all of those um mm-hmm. intricacies um but certainly the projects we're working on at the moment you know like. Jerry Cinnamon that dropped a k- couple of weeks back. You know, that was a, uh, the UK yeah, number yeah. one album. That was obviously a really exciting project for us. and But at the same time, we're working, you know, sort of Girl in Red and Lauv and, and, yeah, all, all sorts. That is just, a, you know, very, it's a much broader team. Um, obviously, what's really nice is we work very closely in understanding the work they do. And we use that a lot as part of the kind of, educational side for for our teams in understanding what's going on in in all the different territories because it could be quite hard to keep up with that aspect you know what what works best for pandora in the u.s you know i have to be taught that a little bit because i'm you know i'm not in the u.s and i'm not using pandora on a day-to-day basis so having these international teams is something that's very useful for for me
0: one really um handy thing as well you said pandora then it it suddenly reminded me of the of the app again um, so I know we're going a bit backward and forward, but it's all good. Um, I remember once looking into my app and seeing a spike in Russia and I was like What's, what the hell's happening in Russia?" Like, so then I delved deeper <laughs> and it takes me to um, a YouTube channel that you guys had obviously found that have been using one of my uh, one of my tracks in the background and um, it was like a Russian news channel. And really? That was yeah on YouTube, and I was just like, "Wow!" Like, because it's incredible that you're able to actually go out there and find where this content is being used, and that the money is coming back to the right person. Because how would I have ever known that it was in the background of two men talking in Russia?
1: It it is amazing technology, it has to be said. I don't think people pay it <laughs> quite enough respect. Sometimes the audio fingerprinting stuff that's run is um, yeah, it's phenomenal. So. Yeah, we we do a, have a sort of a content ID service, and it is audio fingerprinting, and it could find little clips in amongst other things on you know these sort of user generated channels or third party channels all over the world. You know, it's a really it's a really cool resource. I think as a platform, it's really really interesting. It's not, I mean, I favour Spotify at the moment; that's where I spend most of my time. But YouTube Music is very cool. I mean, like it, it's. I shouldn't conflate the two exactly. YouTube music is, is versus the content ID service we provide. They're a little bit different. We deliver everything to YouTube music as if it's, um, as it's you know a standard streaming platform now. But one of the things I quite like about YouTube is obviously it's got all sorts of different recordings, you know, the rarities and the live stuff. So as a music lover, it's very exciting. It's an exciting platform and it's been doing really well just recently, you know, obviously well, um, during coronavirus, which obviously we've not mentioned yet, I, I suppose deliberately, but the, <laughs> you know, it's um, yeah, YouTube's doing really, really well.
0: I mean, I, I I've kind of missed the boat on YouTube, if I'm honest. I remember being at university and uh, kind of a lot of people being really heavily involved in YouTube, and it's just one of those things that never really took my fancy. So it's 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 a really strange concept to me and. I mean, I'm I'm kind of still a bit of an iTunes lover. I'm a bit old fashioned, Phil. So I'm yeah. kind of like, oh, <laughs> Apple, yeah. Um, so I th- yeah, I think having all of these apps and things, it, it can be, in all this data coming at you, it can be really confusing. Like I remember getting the email saying, now's the time to download. It was like Amazon for artists or something. I had some email about that, and I was like, right, okay, that's another thing. And um, I think being an independent artist, a lot of the time. Rather than straying away from all of these apps and all of this data, you kind of have to look into the eye of the storm. And especially <laughs> so when it comes to uh, when it comes to to Spotify, there are some independent artists, especially that will give a lot of distaste to Spotify for many, many different reasons. And my advice is, whether you you agree with what they're doing or whether you don't, your music is there and millions and billions of people are able to access it so let's just think about a way that we can make Spotify work for you and as soon as I gave myself that mentality it was so much easier to manage and that's something that I always tell other artists and the people on my label I'm like I can't get you new music Friday yet you know we can't do that yet we're still developing you and as long as as well as all the stuff that you've already said and I always think just look at each of these streaming platforms individually and think what you're going to do with them. Yeah, I think that's one of the things people keep really forgetting is that they're all completely
1: different. It's really, I don't, it's a difficult thing to like sort of super quickly sum up, but it's like, there's a really big challenge for independent artists. Um, and like you say, looking into the eye of the storm, like there's just this massive like shit show of thousands of platforms distribution services and streaming platforms there's loads of marketing opportunities and social platforms and i've def i've heard people give advice like you know you need to be on all of these social platforms or else people aren't going to hear your message and it's just a at- advice like that is so unhelpful for independent artists you can't possibly be on all of the major social platforms and use them properly it's not physically possible you just wouldn't do anything all day (laughs) like it's totally un yeah it's inconceivable and I think for you to try and optimize you know optimize your artist profile on the top 50 platforms well obviously that's ridiculous too you can't do that I mean I mean, it's a slightly moot point. I'm not sure you can do much on 50 platforms, but, you know, pick, pick a couple of platforms that you're going to really focus on. Pick a couple of social media platforms that you like using. Maybe it's only one, but pick a platform that you really like using and makes sense for you as an artist. Um, and then focus energy on those. And yeah, it might be that you don't love the social media thing, or it might be that you don't want to learn about anything other than Spotify or YouTube or Apple. Um, and you will have to, yeah, suck it up and just embrace it a little bit. But I think it's sounding like what you're saying is that you know when you did embrace it and invest a bit of time in it, it was fine, and it's not it's not that difficult. I just it's definitely key to focus and not not feel obliged to try and be on all the platforms. That's terrible advice, and I've definitely heard that given on a number of occasions. Really? That yeah, you know, advice. I I really feel sometimes because. Well, a lot of what we want to do is try and help people focus in the right places some of the times and they might be like you know absolutely obsessed with getting their video on vivo it's just like really that's you know Vivo's a fantastic platform um but you know you should be more worried about x y and z first and then worry about getting a really great video on vivo you know you haven't got yeah. the music out yet or, or whatever it is um i sound like i'm denigrating vivo that wasn't wasn't what i was trying to do <laughs> but yeah I, I i don't know i i I've come away sometimes and I wouldn't be surprised if you've seen this because, you know, when you're involved in panels, you see lots of people um, taking lots of notes. But sometimes I'm kind of worried that if you spend a day at one of these events, you just come away with this absolutely ludicrous to do list and you leave it just feeling exhausted, thinking I can't physically do all of this stuff I've just been told to do. How do I know which bit to focus on? And, Mm. you know, that's definitely a huge challenge for independent artists.
0: I think you, you, as well, um, going back to that panel that we did together, everyone has a completely different vision of where they see their career going. So finding the right distributor might be right for somebody, but then going out to a couple of pubs and playing open mic nights might be better for someone else. And, you know, there's so many different routes and paths that you can take your music career. And it's so difficult to tell the same artist, the same the same thing and I remember sitting there kind of looking out into a sea of people thinking and that was the first panel that I'd ever done and I sat there like there are a million and one things I could tell you and you're writing down every single thing <laughs> and I remember at the end some of them were just like oh you know um I want to talk to you more about this and that and this and that and and my like My career definitely started from a more of a touring perspective. So I've always, always been on the road. I've always I started at open mic nights, went to pubs, did all that stuff and very slowly built myself up. But a simple question to a lot of them was, oh, well, have you played live? And every single one of them said they hadn't played live. And I, I, I couldn't believe it. I just stood there like really (laughs) you haven't played live once and I do understand that people are kind of nurturing their craft I do get that and do understand that I don't want people to rush release and do things but at the same time I think well you've got to try some stuff out right You've, you've got to try a few things and work out which is best for you and I think that's the whole premise of this podcast is to just try and get try and get some good information to the artists then they can take it and think which one sounds more ideal for me and for me I'm a big champion of AWOL and I think that the whole thing of transparency is really really important for an independent artist especially because you need to be able to try things you need to be able to be building different relationships.
1: Yeah I think that's there's lots of really good advice in there I think um, one of the things that I come across a lot and I think the lack of live, you know, live performances from those artists is part of this is there's a lot of inertia with very early projects, just not knowing how to get started. Should the first thing I do be release a track? Um, Is my track quite ready? Do I need four tracks in, in the bag first before I release anything? do I need to get a manager on board first. Knowing how to get started just kind of cripples a lot of people. and They don't do anything um and the live show is the same thing you know and it feels like um for me it feels like that's one of the things where you just need to get out and play music and and just start doing it just start doing the thing maybe hold off a little bit with your release you know do make sure you've got a couple of tracks um but you know realistically you've got to just get started and i think I've seen that a lot, and especially when I've been at events and talking to people, you know, because Able, you know, I don't think we we didn't do it this year, did we? But the um, year before this, before last, we had a kind of like a lounge there. and Lots of people came and went. And I spoke to lots of people who just sounded to me like they were a year, two years into an artist project. And then I found out the same as you, that actually they still hadn't played anything. And sometimes they hadn't released anything. It's like you know you've been playing around with this for for a long time, um, You've probably you've probably cultivated something now, and it's time to start sharing it.
0: Especially as well with I find with recordings. I mean, if I've written a song in my bedroom, and then I go to the studio straight away and record it, sometimes I find that's actually the worst thing I could have done because then I start playing that song live, and it starts to mold a little bit. You know, it starts to change, and before I know it. I am playing a completely different version to one that I just recorded, and I find that incredibly frustrating. So I always say, like, if you've got a really good song, <laughs> go out there and just show some people, and you know, and really kind of grow into the song.
1: I want and, both and versions. Recording it. You should do that. Record both versions. Do a whole EP of like a before and after EP. <laughs> <laughs> right write four <laughs> songs. Then go and play them. But it sounds a little bit like um it's just the way I can't remember who it was. Uh Stanhock Comedian was talking about their set. I think it might have been Seinfeld. It sounded just the same, where he sort of he goes out and he, he tells the jokes, but he just tells the same ones over and over again until they kind of slowly get moulded into something quite different. And that's how he kind of ends up with his set. I quite like that idea. If you go out with a fairly early version of a song that slowly gets evolved into something, you know, I guess more interesting or mature or whatever it is, that's cool.
0: Yeah, I I did, um, I don't know if you saw it online. This weekend, I I put out an EP with some artists on on Bandcamp because they waived their fees for a day. And the premise was that every artist gave me a home recording that wasn't a fully formed idea. And yeah. um, it went down really really well and like, I couldn't believe so many people like wanted to hear what artists would probably think is just shit but the fans <laughs> like the fans like, were living for it they were like oh you know this is going to be so good when you record it properly or x y and z or maybe i will record it properly and they'll come back and be like no i preferred that one you put on Bandcamp.
1: I oh, know that's going to be so stressful isn't it like there'll be some something about that original version that you've got to try and capture and 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 then make it shinier as well. It's like <laughs> super tricky.
0: Uh, but I do, like, I do love that whole thing. I'm really, um, I'm really intrigued by kind of the the artist development. Like if a, a favorite artist of mine released a song two years ago that I've been obsessed with, but then all of a sudden releases the original version. I think that's such a beautiful thing to be able to really see someone's journey that way.
1: It so is. I think it's really nice. I can't. I think it's True Love Waits. I think that's the name of the song. It was like this super weird, rare, live recording of a Radiohead song that I've known of since like 1998. And then they released it on the last album. It was like the last track. And it was quite different. um, And I didn't necessarily like it more. But it was such a nice nod to that. I had such a long relationship with that song. And for it to then turn up on their last album was was really exciting. That was um that was a lovely little Easter egg. I thought it was very cool.
0: Their their releasing journey has been really interesting, and I do think you know that's kind of cool as well. That maybe artists should be thinking a little bit differently about how they decide to release things. You know, should it should it be single, 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 EP album? It should should we be following like a formula, or should we be mixing things up? And you know, what's your perspective on that?
1: That's It's a really interesting one because you know distribution's been such a a central part of my my career in in music. It's like I'm fascinated with it, and we kind of evolved a few years ago. It sort of became fairly standard that you think about things as recordings instead of albums or EPs. Unless artistically, you want an album or an EP. You know that was it sort of stopped becoming this obligatory thing that you had to do. Um, But I still feel like most artists aren't terribly creative about that side of things, how they want to approach it, Um, and that that tends to fall in the camp of like the marketing team to come up with, that they're the ones that seem to be driving innovation around how tracks are released. And that's not always the case at all. And I think where it is most effective is when the artist drives on stuff like that. Like, you know, at Able, there are some super... Talented people in the marketing team, and they come up with great, great ideas. Um, so I'm not—I'm certainly not downplaying their involvement. I think they're a very important part of the creative process for the whole project. Um, but like one that I've—an example I've used before because I love it a bit—was the Bruno Major album, where he sort of dropped tracks um, one by one, and he kept adding them to this playlist that he was creating, and it had this beautiful color art that uh, cover art that was. In sort of sections that married up with the different um, states of the moon, the lunar cycle wow. I think that's what you'd call it, but yeah. he'd add an extra sort of slice of the cover art on this playlist each time a new track dropped, which was once a month until over a year he built up these these twelve this twelve track album and it was it, it made sense with the whole artistic endeavor of the thing um, and it was really interesting and I think that approach to releasing is should really by now be a bit more normal than it is. There's actually not that many people thinking about their strategy in that sort of creative way, um, with notable exceptions. But yeah, I think I think you're right. And I think when it comes to, you know, like a, a live recording or a fairly laid back, you know, videoed on your phone recording, which we are seeing lots of in Instagram stories and and so on, of course that's brilliant. I mean, if you love an artist, you're going to love watching them just messing about in their room playing a tune um so yeah i don't know i think i think i think you're right and i think that that idea for a release was a really good one and and that sort of thing we'll just see more and more of that
0: i think it's about probably being braver especially for independent and new artists you know you kind of do things the way that you think you need to do them and there are a certain degree of things that you do need to do like you need to have you need to be following a certain timeline um and you know thinking about when you can send out press releases and when you have a pre-save link and x y and z but there has to be a little bit of space but just to be a little bit more creative and i imagine for for awol that must that can only help an artist surely if they're more creative that they are will benefit the release entirely
1: i think it does you know i think we've been um It's been quite a deliberate decision for us. We've always been very artist-led that that we've wanted to let artists make decisions because, well, I mean, I I assume, certainly from my end, the assumption is always going to be that the artists should do what they want because fans of that artist will like them doing that. You know, it's fairly simplistically put, um, but I think the artist should be allowed to be a little bit pig-headed and call the shots with certain things. You know... It's then we might ask for a little bit more lead time, you know, or or we might ask them to do certain things. Um, But that can only be that can never get in the way of what they're trying to do artistically. I think that bit's super important. Um, So, yeah, I think that's great. Let them be uh, creative with it and try and push the boundaries and come up with new ideas. And then, you know, uh, a sensible company will then just try and support them in whatever they're doing.
0: And you came up with something um, really important I wanna touch on, lead time. Now, lead time is a wonderful thing and it also can be the most annoying email you'll ever receive as an artist. You know, (laughs) when you, you can have this whole plan, you've made this big plan, it's set in concrete and this is when you want this and that's when you need to do this. And then all of a sudden, the distributor tells you that you need a little bit more time. And it can be very frustrating as from an artist's perspective, to be like, really, everything was planned and now I've got to move it two weeks or three weeks or whatever. Now, why why do we need such a big lead time? Is it four weeks or six weeks they Well, sorry.
1: We've, I think, qu- quoted four to six weeks. It's a kind of grey, it's, it's a slightly grey area because the reality is um, we deliver things really quite fast. We could deliver things within a few hours if, you know, if that's where we put our focus and our energy in order to run a really good campaign, you need to deliver the release a few weeks out because otherwise you can't flag it up to the stores because until it's in their system, you can't do that. And so that's one of the reasons why we didn't focus all our energy on making it be as quick as physically possible. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like the backstory. The reality is you could deliver things quite quickly um, when there's a a really good reason. and, And, Quite often, people will be in touch to say, "Look, you know, we're getting some really good radio support. We just need to release that as quickly as we can, and we'll be able to sort of, you know, tr- then then try and prioritize it and get it delivered quicker. Um, and we'll always try and help people with that when we can, and that is most of the time, to be honest. Um, but the lead time it is really useful for you to run a successful campaign. So I kind of tell people." You know, if I'm advising people, I'm talking specifically about the distri- the digital distribution piece, I sort of say, you know, if you want to do something quicker, then do ask for it. Do lean on your distributor to do that. Um, but equally, you do give things up when you move quicker. You know, if there's something wrong with the metadata, if the artist mapping doesn't work just right, if the pricing is slightly wrong on the pre-order, all of these little things, they are surprisingly tricky to manage, and they all take a little bit of time. And without lead time, that stuff falls down. So it's the four what... weeks lead time, which is what, what we really need to be able to guarantee a release without any of those issues, um, it it is a smart move. But I think equally, you should sort of, yeah, I mean, make a bit of a fuss. If you need it to go live quicker than that, like much quicker than that, and there's a really good reason, then we should try and bend the rules for that.
0: I think it's I think again it's a it's a learning curve for artists to realise that okay, you've got all this stuff ready but it doesn't have to be happening right now and it actually takes quite a lot of courage to think I've got this song ready, it's been ready for a really long time but maybe the timing isn't quite right yet and I think it's really important that we kind of do what we do, we've made the art and we actually what comes next, we really have to do justice for what we've just spent months and months making. So I'm more inclined, like when I look back at my younger self, I can definitely see instances where I was just wanted it out because that was the timeline that I had planned. But that's just something that I made up in my head. Like there was no there was no need for that for that song to come out on that day. You know, I think it takes it takes a lot of experience, but also someone to just put their hands up and be like okay, so the track comes out in eight weeks rather than four. That's okay.
1: You know, it's hard, isn't it? Like, I think one of the things that can get super tricky is that you sort of, you have to make some arbitrary timelines to stick to, to just get shit done. It, it could be really difficult to get anything done if there's no, no timeline there. So you kind of make things up and to then be flexible as well. That is quite, it's hard, isn't it? I I, I get why people find that a bit challenging. Um. But yeah, you're you're absolutely right. The the uh, sort of enforcing there being a bit of lead time, if that means you have to move stuff around um, in order to optimize the recording that you've got, or the three recordings you've got, or the video, um, it does make sense to move the release date often. Um, and we see that happen all the time. I mean, you know, people will come to us, and in the best case scenario, they come with a really great plan that's really well organized. And maybe they've got a really good team of people and they all know what the timeline is and it's in a shared document and it's like it's all there and it looks really smart. But then one thing happens, it throws a bunch of bunch of things out of whack. You Then you go in and you change them all. You all agree on them. You do what makes sense for the radio plugger but also works for the press team um, and you move on. And it sort of has to work like that a little bit really.
0: And how do you um, go about well, you touched on something just there as well, which I think is like a really small admin error. Um, When you talk about shared documents, now there are a million and one ways to share documents. What's your personal favorite?
1: Well, um, I just think, I think Google's really good for it. I'm I'm a big fan of- of The (laughs) drive. Yeah, well, me and my team, we collaborate a lot using Google Docs because it's a really great way of sharing comments across a thing. I find that really, really useful so someone in my team will share information with me and I can go in and comment on it and then they can go and delete my comment if they think I'm talking nonsense, um, <laughs> which is very rare, I'm sure. But like the, the the, it's a really useful way of collaborating on stuff and I think in the, in the context of um, a release schedule, um, you could put something in there, you could suggest a date for a certain thing and someone else in the team could go in and say, that's going to be a struggle for me for these reasons or whatever, you know, and so it could be really useful for that. I do think... It's quite rare to see a well-structured sharing in, in the projects that I've been working across. Um, but like you've alluded to Google Drive, but I think between Google Drive and, and you know, to, to keep some assets in, you know, the audio assets and the assets without vocals and, you know, all of those different things.
0: Could you give me five things that you are frustrated? That that, that frustra- Yeah, can you give me five things that frustrate you? about an artist
1: you mean sort of like artist in general
0: yeah in general so it could be you know it could be anything from oh they haven't quite got their metadata right or their artwork is a low res or anything like that because one of the things i want to do is if everyone can give me five things that they wish artists didn't do and it doesn't have to be that negative i know it sounds super super negative but (laughs) it's it's not it's It's not meant to be it's kind of like okay, no one's ever told me that before, and then you're not you're not directly telling an artist that they've done a bad job, but people could be listening to this podcast just like, oh, I do that, maybe I shouldn't do that. Yeah. So you can can I you probably try a very I'll have a good best. go. Yeah.
1: Okay. Five things I won't get to five. Let's think. Um, one thing that we do. Um. There's definitely. Uh, a tendency to misunderstand what's asked for when you know when, when putting together a one sheet or thinking what's involved in there, it's very easy for artists to think more about what they want to write down than think about what the other person wants to read. So some some realism about what's what's being looked for when you provide a one sheet. People get that wrong all the time. And I'm not saying there shouldn't be colour in there. It's fine for an artist to say, you know, I fell in love with music for this reason and, and the other. Um, but equally, the person at the other end, they, they really want to know what's going on for you and your campaign already and that kind of thing. So I think you know, artists sometimes don't put their best foot forward in that sense. This is difficult because like most artists I work with, I don't have this issue with. But, but where we do struggle with some artist projects is if they forget that we're attempting to collaborate with them and cooperate with them. Some artists definitely approach us like we're the enemy and I'm kind of saying we in this instance being you know maybe me and my team or the music industry in general um, there's definitely a sense sometimes of of us and them Um, and actually the vast majority of people that I've come across in music working in the music industry are in it because they love it I mean it's not the easiest job and it's not like um, the most lucrative job people are here because they love music and if you approach things as if they're supposed to be collaborative, it's way, way more enjoyable for everybody concerned. And most of the people who are doing well, that is part of what they're doing. That's part of their DNA. Um, So I definitely think that's an an easy place to go wrong for some artists.
0: That's really interesting because I think that's uh that falls into the mentality and i'm thinking about my my younger self now because when you said that i can definitely see myself like five years ago with that mentality and i think the reason why we have that is because we're made to feel like quite constantly that there is a lot that we're going to have to push through and already that there's quite a lot set against us and it's taken me especially Mm. as a woman a really long time to understand that People are working with you because they want to and and they like you. And really you don't have, there's nothing to prove. And I think a lot of the time for independent artists, they go in with that mindset because they feel like they've got something to prove. And eventually I think that with age, you realise that's not the way, that's just not the way you should be doing business. But I definitely can see that trait in myself as a, as a younger woman and traits in some of the younger artists that
1: i've been talking to yeah i think that's that's really true i think your ted talk on that subject was was fantastic i shared that with lots of people it can be a very competitive industry and it's a really tough industry in loads of ways like um there's very little security um it's very personal so you're sharing incredibly personal stuff and you get way more knockbacks than you get wins generally speaking even if you do brilliantly you know even people who are right in the middle of their biggest successes are getting criticized a lot by other people, so it's mm-hmm. a you know it's a tough tough place to be so it's quite understandable that it ends up feeling like that from time to time um, but one of the things that we we sense with some people that we work with is that they they really are looking f- for you to go wrong and and to then just sort of reaffirm them in their assumption that you're really trying to scupper their career um, and fleece mm-hmm. them of money those are the two two big fears for artists and and you know that's really not not part of our model at all and and not part of our philosophy we're working very hard for for artists and w- with quite a lot of passion um but yeah so it's an easy place for people to go wrong and I do understand where it comes from you know like I say I was a yeah. musician for a long time and i I, I get it. It, it, it it's hard work
0: there is a hell of a lot of food for thought from this episode am I right I'm already thinking about the fact that I need to be savvier with my releases in the future. If I eventually get round to doing an album, how should I do it? Can you just throw an album out these days? There needs to be something else. There needs to be something more to you. And it kind of takes away the whole thing that musicians grow up wanting. We all want that Grammy award winning record. And there is massive, there's a massive question over that, you know? There's thousands upon thousands of people releasing things on the daily. How are we gonna find a way to to be different and stand out in a crowd? And these are all these are all good questions to ask yourself. You need to push the boundaries and you know should you be taking greater risks? Should you be thinking a little bit more carefully about what you put out into the world? Because essentially every song or anything you put out into the sphere is a part of your journey and also a part of a bigger picture so you always need to make sure that you've got that bigger picture in sight and that's not to say that it's always going to be clear because from a personal perspective sometimes I feel a bit wobbly in terms of the trajectory of my career or where I'm going or you know, what this, what putting this single out actually means. And I think I've learned, maybe, over the past couple of years that I definitely need to take my story a little bit more seriously, make sure that every single thing that I do put out is a part of something and mean something. And that might not be, again, for you or everybody or your friend. Like Some people can just put great stuff out and that's all they're happy with. But really question what type of artist you are. And if you can kind of see the big picture, just take a second and think about how you're going to get there. And this conversation with Phil definitely made me think about those things a little bit more seriously. It made me feel a bit more content that maybe I'm not releasing any music now and I know I'm know i doing the right thing. I'm doing the right thing just honing my craft because when I come back, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be great. But then if you're the kind of artist that just wants to build a fan base, then sometimes putting singles out every week, two weeks, month is also a good thing. But this is the hardest thing when it comes to being an independent musician because there are so many paths and avenues. But just think about your big picture, what that looks like and how you actually think you can get there. Whether that's really big steps at a time or maybe tiny little steps. Just think about it get a pen and a paper get a diary start writing down your dreams once and just think okay if this is what i want then you know how how am i going to get there how am i going to do it and i get it these are massive questions and it can feel incredibly isolating to have them on their own so just speak to someone whether it's your manager or your friend just speak Sometimes when you talk to someone else, they might have a really great idea that you just never thought of. Anyway, that was today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did love it, subscribe. Let people know that it exists. Let people know that I'm here spreading the good stuff, trying to help you out. Thank you again. Follow me everywhere on Baby Woman Records, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that jazz. Anyway, I'm going to go because the music stopped and I don't want to loop it again. See you later, guys. Thank you.